so much. Please be seated. Today's text is a long one, so I'm going to read it, and you get to listen. Unless you want to follow along, you're welcome to follow along, but it kind of breaks up and has a few hiccups in the middle of that. So, But it's going to be Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, 9 through 14, and 22 through 26. <laughs> Here are now the inspired words of God. And then I saw a new heaven and a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the tabernacle of God is among mortals. He will tabernacle with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in the spirit, he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It has the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates are inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of Israelites on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city has 12 foundations, and on them are the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Revelation usually makes people shudder a little bit, right? Uh, Some of you might have said, oh, oh, great, yay, Revelation. Revelation. It has uh, a tendency and a little bit of uh, history of being just flat-out weird. Uh, It just so happens to be, because I'm weird, uh, my favorite book of the Bible, (laughs) uh, which probably means we're going to go long today, so just get comfortable. Uh, But I'll try to go really fast, so you might need to put a seatbelt on, so buckle up. It's going to go pretty crazy. It's going to be a wild ride. So... uh, Really quick, though, have you ever had those things in your life that you knew that were probably going to change the world, uh, that, you, that you, just, you just saw it and you kind of noticed? Like, the first thing that I noticed uh, is the iPhone. Do you remember when the first iPhone first came out? Uh, it really, truly was revolutionary. We had had small little tablet kind of like pads that were the size of a phone, but it didn't have a phone in it at the same time. And, um, and, and, and I was working at Apple at the time, and, and everyone was like, oh, man, this is going to shake the foundations of the earth. This is going to be changing the world as we know it. 
everyone loved the iPhone. But I kind of think that there are probably other things too, like, uh, for example, maybe the Model T, right? The Ford Model T. Some of you were around when it came out. Uh, It... uh, it probably changed the world, right? I mean, having a locomotive is crazy amazing in an automobile. Uh, unbelievable to change the world. One of the other ones that I thought of is penicillin. Uh, several of us might even not be here today without this remarkable, unbelievable medical drug that we have. Penicillin, this is the guy who found it scraping it out of the bottom of a jar there. But um, These things that change our world are undeniably unbelievable. And I think that we have to think through maybe a little bit more personal kinds of things. Like, for example, um, maybe when you were first married, if you are married, you knew that that was probably going to change your life from that point forward. The whole earth was going to be changed because of the relationship that you were going to have with this amazing, beautiful other person in your life, right? Um, what about those people who are, are pregnant, you know, pregnant couples? Their world's going to change too, right? Uh, yes, that is a bucket of used diapers uh, that I found and put up there. Uh, your world changes with small children. Uh, it is something new in your life. It is something that uh, just completely changes who you are. Well, that's the kind of way we need to think about this new heaven and this new earth. But one of the things that we have to understand is it could be, and I think should be translated as a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. So it's not necessarily that God is going to do away with this amazing creation that we get to experience in the world today. And that term heaven, new heaven, new earth, that term heaven is really just talking about the stars and the sky and the clouds. It's not talking about like what you think of as clouds with uh, Looney Tune characters and harps and uh, halos on their, on their heads, right? Uh, it is actually talking about this earth, but being renewed, being glorified. Now, it's going to be unbelievable, and I can't imagine what it would actually be like. Um, I know that this view that we see out this window is unbelievable, but it hasn't been renewed yet. Now, I love seeing that almost every single morning, I, I actually have a minute worth of recording of the video of the sun coming up this morning, which was awesome, by the way. I wish you would join me here at 7 o'clock to unlock the church, and you can join me out there to watch the sunrise. If you think that's awesome, you ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. It's going to be renewed with the glory of God. It is going to be spectacular, but it's actually good to use this world we live in. So you don't have to necessarily worry about when you die that you won't ever get to see that view again. It's just going to be magnified. Like I have uh, a favorite, favorite place that I love to go to in my life, and it's mountains. Uh, I love the mountains. You beach people are weird to me, okay? I don't get you. I don't ever want to. I'm just not a beach guy. Like if I go on a beach, you're like, shoot the bear. You know, it's like, uh, uh, what's a bear doing on the beach? No, mountains are my thing. I, I love, like, for example, right here, this is my favorite part. Those are dudes fly fishing right there. Any fly fishermen here or women? Yeah? 
I'm talking about. Yeah, mountain people are so much better than you beach people. I, 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 I just, like, here's Aspen. Have you ever heard when a slight breeze goes through the Aspen trees, it almost sounds like there's a waterfall in the distance. God, it's awesome. There's snow in the wintertime. The water is super, super clear. It is awesome. I love the mountains. I mean, look at the beaches. Here's a representation of every beach I've ever been to. <laughs> Come on. You like this stuff? What's wrong with y'all? Beaches are horrible. They're nasty. I don't like them. They're hot. You can't drink the water. Oh, yeah, you got to fish, but the, the fishing pole has to be like seven times your size. Come on. This, I mean, there's no one on that boat for a reason. They just jumped out and went to the island over there. There's, the beaches are... Oh, oh. Now, so I want you to understand that when we read Revelation and it says it's going to be doing away with the sea, right? Um, that if you're a beach lover, I don't want you to freak out, okay? Uh, because you have to understand that uh, Revelation is actually using a genre of literature called the apocalyptic literature. Okay, just like we have literature of poetry and science fiction and nonfiction and and dramas and all kinds of stuff like that, it's using its own genre of literature. Now, the apocalyptic literature genre uses imagery to be able to explain something other. Now, John the Revelator, the guy who wrote Revelation, he was having a single vision. Now, that vision was actually him getting to experience an ultimate reality. Now, the reality that you and I live in right now that we get to be able to experience and interact with, we do it with our senses, right? I mean, we, have, we smell the world around us, we taste it, we touch it, we can see it. But when you have ultimate reality kinds of things, it would be practically impossible to be able to explain it. So the way that you explain it and the way that we read it with this genre is using a lot of similes and metaphors. It was like that. It was like this compared to this and that, because there's just no way to be able to explain the ultimate reality that God lives in. Like, you know, time is just something completely different than Kronos time. Everything is different. And so John chose to use this genre uh, of apocalyptic literature. But if you read it literally, which you shouldn't, please, if you know someone who does this, if you read it this way, please stop. You're just making yourself look weird. Um, and you sound weird, too, to be honest with you. But, like, this is a good example of it. Like, the four horsemen, right? Maybe it wasn't necessarily talking about four literal horses and literal men on some horses. Maybe they could be a representation of something else, right? Uh, I love this next one here. Uh, that is the prostitute of Babylon uh, on top of the beast. Guess where the beast is coming out of? The sea, the ocean, right? Um, it's on the beach right now, guys. Um, and then, of course, I love this one over here, this last one. <laughs> this cracks me up. Some, somebody's just photoshopped a bunch of lions together, added horns, and the poor leopard's like, what do I do here? Uh, and I think they found like, this weird blue, maybe bear for the legs? I don't get that. Uh, and then my favorite part is that they added Rome's basilica to the back. Nowhere in Revelation, but they just decided to shove uh, Catholicism as the horrible bad people. Notice it's in what? The beach again, yeah. Um, 
And then, of course, we have the dragon back there. It's just, it cracks me up. This is just so, it's not meant to be literal. Please stop reading Revelation literal. You have to be able to enjoy the imagery that's going on there. So, uh, with that said, though, I want to go back a little bit. I want to give you a pop quiz. Now, a few months ago, Pastor Laura actually preached. And uh, I'm going to find out if you were listening, okay? Some people are like, oh, here we go. Um, uh, she was preaching about how the people in Jesus' day, and actually medieval days, how they saw the sea, how they saw the ocean. Now, does anyone remember what she said about the ocean in Jesus' day? Do you remember? What's that? The sky. No, not necessarily the sky. It was bad. It was bad, right? Yeah, look at the medieval uh, maps here, right? This, we, have, uh, we have this poor, sad sea monster here. There's another sea monster. Uh, there's some back over here. Yeah, you don't realize this, but I looked up their names. That's Harvey. Uh, that one's Harvey. Uh, that one's Harvey. That one's Harvey, too. So it's weird. But, um, but the, the sea was always supposed to be this place of chaos, this place of horrible, bad things. So, for example, it's not just in Revelation. When Jesus cast out legion, where did all the demons go first? No, not first. It went where? Pigs. It went to the pigs, right? And they're a very unclean animal, right? They're a very unclean animal. And so it went from the pigs, and then where did the pigs go? They went to the sea. They went home. They went home to the world of chaos, because that's, if demons had a home, that's where they'd live, right? They went to chaos. So that's the reason when we read this, this beautiful imagery that there is no more sea in Revelation. It's not saying that the ocean is going to go away. It's just saying that the bad stuff in this world is going away. So if you do love the beach and you do love the ocean and the sea, maybe it could be glorified and beauty. Maybe it could be so much more than what it is today with trash all over it and, uh, and things like that. So with that in mind, with that imagery in mind, now it's not too bad to know that in Revelation we're seeing that there is no more sea, right? It's just imagery for a beautiful, beautiful world that has been renewed, that has been a part of God being in the midst of it when it comes to heaven coming on earth. So, when we are in the Old Testament, Genesis, we have this beautiful, amazing garden, right? And that's an actual garden, by the way. I actually typed in on Google, like, the top ten gardens of the world, and this is one of them that showed up. That is unbelievable. Um, I do not want to be the caretaker of that garden uh, or the person who has to change the light bulbs out. But, um, but that is, that's beautiful, but that has nothing compared to what we would think of Genesis would be in the garden, right? But we had something happen in the garden. And, uh, and then they were kind of kicked out of the garden, right? And then we had two brothers. We had Cain and Abel. In the first service, I called him Cable, and I realized that's not, that's not who I wanted to say. Cain and Abel, what happened with Cain and Abel? Yep, there's a boom. One brother killed the other, Right? One, one brother was murdered. And uh, the other brother was, was, was so shamed by that 
And he wanted to die right there. And, and God said, no, no, no. I'm going to even show the murderer mercy by putting a mark on him that will not allow anyone to kill him. And he goes off and he creates the first what? Anybody know this one? Yeah. He creates the very first city. Not Austin, obviously, uh, that you see up here. He didn't create Austin. But he created the first city. So already in Genesis, we have the good stuff where God resides is in the garden, and the bad stuff where the bad people go is in the city. And then here we find ourselves in Revelation, and guess what is represented as being where God resides? What's a city? New Jerusalem. Jerusalem is going to be where God resides, not just only in the garden. You see, God is redoing everything, even the parts that seem like they're bad parts, they're horrible parts. God is in the midst, redeeming them, bringing them love and grace. And so we have this new Jerusalem city that is unbelievably awesome. But we always think about whenever we pass away or when we go to heaven, where do you go? What direction do you go? Up, right? That's where you, we always have, we're always floating in the clouds, going, always going up. Uh, this is not the stairway to heaven. This is the assisted stairway to heaven. Um, but, uh, but I thought that was a really cute cartoon. But, but you get the idea, right? That's what most people think. And, and that makes sense, right? When Jesus ascended, he didn't, he didn't say he went down into the ground. He, was, he ascended up somewhere, right? Even though he could have just kind of phased out or something. We don't know what it was, but... But we have that in our heads. But here we see that the new Jerusalem, the city of God, is doing what? It's coming down to the renewed earth. It's not that we go up. It's that God comes down. Does this sound like anything that happened in the Old Testament? Maybe when God came down and resided as a Shekinah glory inside the temple, inside the tabernacle, surrounded by 12 tribes of Israel. That's where the presence of God was. Do you think that it might have happened with Jesus? Do you think that it was just a coincidence that Jesus chose 12 disciples? No. He did it on purpose. He was trying to tell everyone, I'm surrounding myself with 12 to remind you that I am the presence of God here on this planet right now. Just like the God of the Old Testament And now we have a city that has no temple in it because the very presence of the Lamb and the Creator Covenant God is at the center of the city. And once again, incarnationally, comes down to a renewed earth. That's awesome. Am I shattering some of your views of what heaven's supposed to be? I hope I am. I hope I'm throwing him out the door. So now it comes to the fun part, right? Uh, we, uh, we also see, and you, you can't see that we didn't read this part, but it's actually a big cube, the city is. No, 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 not that cube. That's the Borg from Star Trek. Um, that, that's a joke. That's a geek joke. So feel free to laugh if you are proud to be a geek like I am. Uh, but if you actually pulled out the measurements like what it actually says in the Bible, in the, in the text that we read, or a little bit in between the text that we read, it actually says that there's this angel that brought out a measuring rod, and he like measured out how big the cube was. And this, if you put the island of, the island of Patmos 
in the center of the cube, which, by the way, that's where John the Revelator was writing Revelation, okay? And if you put that right smack dab in the middle, that's how big the cube would be. And guess what? That's pretty much as far as Christianity had traveled at the time when John wrote Revelation. So now we have a city that is littered with the number 12, that is screaming imagery that this means that the city is the people of God. And, and now we are even missing a measurement that's saying, oh gosh, maybe the city, maybe heaven, as what we would think of it would be, is literally the people of God. Wherever the people of God are, they are bringing heaven to this earth. Does that make sense to you? I, I think it's very, very important for us to be able to see that and to realize what's going on there. Now, uh, I also want to take a side note here and remind everybody and to, show, and to tell you that if you read, if you heard it or not, I don't know, but there's gates in the city, right? And the purpose of a gate is what? Usually to keep people from coming in, right? Uh, That's usually the purpose of a gate. But are they ever closed? No, they're always open during the daytime, and there is no nighttime. (laughs) So guess what? They're always open. They're always open. I want to give all of you who have such a heavy burden to bear of friends and family that do not know Christ that you are constantly worried about them and you love them so much, I want you to know there is always hope that these gates are never closed. There is always hope. There's always hope. God never closes these gates. Now, I want to get to the meat of the text that we read. Here is the ultimate creator of the universe. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. The most powerful being you could possibly imagine times a billion, times a Googleplex, is choosing, is choosing the most amazing, beautiful, tender moment of wiping away your tears. Taking away your pain. Redeeming the curse of childbirth in Genesis of the pain that's supposed to come with it. No more pain. No more mourning. Death has died. Oh, the irony. God is going to choose to wipe away every tear. Golly. I don't even know if I can grasp that. When my brother was dying of cancer, when I saw the Twin Towers fall, when I watched a hurricane destroy an entire coast of Texas, 
I saw the results of a fallen world. But I never lost hope. Don't you ever lose hope. You see, God and Christ have chosen to bring about the ultimate reality of heaven through you and through me. Yes, someday God is going to wipe away your tears, but until that time, God has asked you and me to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Christ, and we are to wipe away the tears. We are to be the hope that this world desperately longs for. The Celtic Christians believed that there was something called thin space. We've talked about this before. That this world of ultimate reality of heaven, renewed heaven, renewed earth, and this reality that we live in, that it gets to be so thin, this veil becomes so thin it becomes like gossamer. That you can just sense that there are these moments where heaven and earth are colliding That is you. That is you, every single one of you. When I see you and you wipe away my tear and you give me a hug, you are providing thin space moments. You are being Christ to me. That is heaven. Go and be heaven in this world. Be thin space. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.